Hello and welcome to another episode of What Sports. This is your host Mike Jones here with you right now. And I got a full slate of stuff to get in with you today. We're going to start off talking about the Denver Nuggets and looking into what to expect from them coming to the season. Last episode we talked more about the NBA as a whole. Do a little bit of recapping on that as far as who the main uh, obstacles are in the way for the Denver Nuggets, and then we'll slide over, talk a little bit about the Denver Broncos, officially eliminated from the playoffs this past uh, Saturday, really, and yet I still have liked, for the most part, what I have seen from this team, and where I feel like this team is actually in a better place going into next season, that I see a lot of media members saying and then we'll wrap up with um well the last segment i'm not gonna lie to you i'm gonna be going on a little bit of a rant and we'll talk about the college football playoffs some bowl games of interest and wrap the show up with that but first let's dive into the denver nuggets they played all three of the preseason games already Two and one, both wins against the Trailblazers, uh, both 30 plus point victories, both games holding Trailblazers under 100 points, both games scoring over 120 points. I mean, we're, we're talking about real clean, real team oriented basketball that the Nuggets played in the preseason. Yeah, they started off with a loss against the Warriors, not going to gloss over that. Quite frankly, the biggest problem in that game felt like the second unit watching that. Uh, the second unit just was not together. I mean, which is to be expected. These guys were, a lot of them just met like days before the first game against the Warriors. Uh, training camp started off where you were alone in a, on a court with just a coach doing one on zeros. I mean, the amount of time these guys actually spent together to try to build any sort of chemistry before they went in and played Warrior, the Warriors was minimal. And we're talking about a Nugget squad that had more turnover into this last season than we've seen in like four years. I mean, in the past, as this team has been built into what they are now, a huge thing was continuity, uh, growing these guys together. And now we've reached that point where, you know, we've developed the talent from within and we weren't going to be able to keep them around. So you saw guys like Malik and Wancho get shipped off last year. And then we weren't able to keep guys like uh, Jeremy Grant. We'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. But just a confluence of events there led to more turnover than we've seen in a while for the Denver Nuggets. And then you don't have... A true training camp. Obviously, there was no summer league because, uh, you know, summer was when the actual playoffs happened. I mean, the season ended just a couple months ago. It is, and we are already getting into the next season. So, first game was a learning experience. Obviously, it's preseason, all a preseason. It's all just a learning experience. For these guys to be able to figure out how to play with each other. And for the coaches to figure out how they're going to 
put together their lineups. But let's uh, let's start off looking at what changes were made in this shortened offseason. Uh, Kieta Bates Diop, he left. He's now with the Spurs. Tyler Kirk Cook is now gone. Tory Craig, uh, kind of a fan favorite, uh, defensive hustle guy. He's gone, signed with the Bucks. Wish the best luck to him. Troy Daniels is still a free agent. Noah Vonley, gone, still a free agent. And then possibly the two that could have been felt the most. Uh, actually, both went to the same team. Mason Pumley, no longer Denver Nugget, uh, now a Detroit Piston. And then the headliner, Jeremy Grant, after hearing so much about how he want, he loves it in Denver, he wants to stay with the Nuggets, you know, he ended up signing with the Detroit Pistons and from reports signed a contract very comparable to what the Denver Nuggets were offering him. And in the end, from reports, what it came down to was Jeremy Grant being able to expand his game. Uh, going to Detroit, going and playing with the Pistons, uh, he was he wanted to be the vocal point, uh, and he felt like he could be that. I'm not sure if that is Jeremy Grant's game, but he's going to have the opportunity to uh, discover that in, pit, in Detroit with the Pistons. I uh, when it first happened, I'm going to be honest with you, I was hurt. I was hurt as a Denver Nuggets fan, but you know he. If that's what he believes, power to him to go and discover that. He's going to fall on his face in all likelihood. He's going from a team that was competing for a championship in Denver to go to Detroit where he's just going to, um, where, where at best he can just pad his stats. That is not a playoff team in Detroit. Uh, definitely not a championship contending team in Detroit and most likely won't be during his tenure there. Because uh, I would assume once he's done with the contract he just signed with Detroit, he's out of there. I mean, there's only so much losing I feel like a guy can take. But Jeremy Grant went and did that. A lot was made about it and how much worse the Nuggets were because of it. Um, we'll, you know what, let's look at what the Nuggets added first and then we'll talk a bit about that move. Uh, start off, they did re-sign Bulbul, put him, gave him a, um, gave him an actual contract. No longer a two-way player. Paul Millsap re-signed uh, for 10 million with the Nuggets, and uh, Monte Morris signed a contract extension. And then you look at what the Nuggets actually added. They added uh, Faku Capazzo. Uh, really a Spanish League superstar, and from what I saw of him in the preseason, just a super fun guy to have on your team. Super energetic when he's out there on the court. Uh, his nickname is The Magician, and it's apt. I mean, he might even be a more a, a better passer and, and a flashier passer than even Jokic out there on the court. Uh, he is... He's, very short, but the things he does out there is just fun to watch and to see him gelling with the other pieces on this team. It's it's exciting. Uh, Jamichael Green, you may recognize that name 
former Clipper. Uh, since he's actually signed with the Nuggets, has had a lot to has had a lot to say about that series, Clippers against the Nuggets, and uh, not necessarily glowing things about his former team. Signed Isaiah Hartenstein, who is slated to slide in and be that Mason Plumlee replacement. I actually really liked this signing. Um, yet to see how consistent he is defensively. But he adds more uh, range to the position than a Plumlee did. Uh, he, he can hit a three. I mean, it's not necessarily where you want him posting up on a consistent basis. But he has that range, and he is a good passer. Uh, and then we also signed Greg Winnington. He was, uh, he's a little bit of an older rookie, but kind of in that mold of a Tory Craig. Played overseas a little bit and has come and signed with the Denver Nuggets, seeing an opportunity to prove himself in the NBA like Tory Craig did. A long wing defender. He is possibly the best chance we have at replacing the defensive presence of Jeremy Grant in that position uh, versatile defense. Athleticism and size to be able to go out there, cover the wings, switch onto, um, switch onto a guard, and not lose a lot there. Undrafted rookie Marcus Howard signed him not likely to see any time this season. Uh, if there was a normal G League setup, I wouldn't doubt that he'd go in there and he would light it up in the G League. But probably not want to see time on the court as a Denver Nugget this season. May never end up seeing the court as a Denver Nugget, but he chose to come here. And reports say that he... When, when we got into the second round, especially later in the second round, uh, Marcus Howard did not want to get drafted. Specifically because he wanted to have the opportunity to sign and play and be a part of the Denver Nuggets. Uh, and it, it's, not it's not out of, you know, he's not a Denver Nuggets fanboy necessarily, but he's seen what the franchise has been able to do in developing uh, overlooked talent, such as uh, Monte Morris, for instance, second-round pick. Now we just signed him to a lucrative three-year deal. And for my money, is the best backup point guard in the entire NBA. And Torrey Craig, a, another guy, overlooked, came here, got a chance to prove himself, and, and signed a contract with Milwaukee now. The Nuggets are kind of gaining this reputation for being able to develop prospects, be able to develop talent. And you see it with Marcus Howard wanting to come here. Uh, another rookie, RJ Hampton, super pumped to come to Denver because of the development he's seen from other players. Uh, Zeke Naji, a little, a little less so, but another guy who, when he was drafted, said how excited he was to come to Denver because of the culture and because how players are developed within this organization. 
Zeke Naji, I'm not going to lie, I was a little disappointed with the pick just because I was looking more for a little bit of a, a, a more polished physical presence inside. Uh, coming off of the series against the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals, I was hoping for something a little more physical inside. But watching preseason, Zeke Naji has impressed me. Very athletic. He has, in interviews, he has said how he wants to be able, and he thinks he'll be capable of, guarding positions three through five. He's a six foot eleven power forward center. Um, pro- Right now, maybe um, more slotting in as a stretch four. But he has the athleticism, and if he puts his mind to it, he can slide and probably be able to guard a three. I would not put him out there on you know, a LeBron James or a Kawhi right now, obviously. But he does have the athleticism, athleticism and he does have the desire from reports to be that kind of versatile defender. Uh, and he's an extremely gifted person in general. Uh, very smart uh, and exquisite on the piano. Uh, there's a There was a whole bit on him during the draft. And he's just a multi-talented person. And I have no doubt if what he wants is to become that kind of versatile defensive stopper, then he will be able to accomplish that. He has good range. He he can hit the three. He in the preseason he hit at least two threes that I can think of off the top of my head, and had a great shooting motion to go along with that. The other rookie though is probably R.J. Hampton, is who I'm most excited about, and that's has nothing to do with what he's going to be able to do for the Denver Nuggets this season. He was a top top recruit coming out of high school. He took the um, the foreign route, if you will, uh, kind of like a lamello ball. He went, he played down in Australia and did not fare all that well. So his draft stock plummeted. The Nuggets were able to trade back into the first round, trade back into number two, the 24th pick and pick up R.J. Hampton, and that was a steal. This guy is extremely, extremely athletic. He is the fastest guy on the roster right now, but he is extremely raw. He is a lot like MPJ and Bol Bol in that, and you look at him and just the the potential that jumps off at you is phenomenal. But he is extremely raw. Um... Maybe even more so, definitely more so than MPJ, and maybe even more so than Bobo. But you put him on a team like the Denver Nuggets, who just was talking about how they're building this reputation of being able to develop these prospects. If you develop RJ Hampton, you will have something special in years to come. Let's just fantasize here for a moment. Three years down the road, the optimal lineup, the, the, what my dream would be for the Denver Nuggets, is you have Jamal Murray at the one, you have RJ Hampton at the two, you have MPJ at the three, Bobo at the four, and Jokic at the five. 
the amount of problems, especially offensively and and defensively, you're talking about the kind of length and athleticism that RJ and Bobol bring to the respective positions, the potential of that squad would be ridiculous. Now, we're starting to see it from MPJ, him, him actualizing his NBA potential. Obviously, he's nowhere near where he could be, and not quite to where we will need him to be to make a championship run. But Bol Bol, still a lot of growth needed from him. RJ Hampton, obviously, he hasn't even started his journey, really, with the Nuggets into actualizing what he could be. But just fantasizing for a moment, that is a starting five that I would put up against... Again, if they reach what they could do. That's a starting five I'd put up against possibly any starting five in the history of the NBA. Yeah, I know. I'm projecting a lot with that. I'm, I'm, I'm playing some fantasy basketball there. But if you just look at the potential of the players there, it is astronomical. So all in all, we talked about losing Jeremy Grant. I am actually not as low on the Nuggets now as I was when that move, when Jeremy Grant first signed over there. Offensively, this is going to be a better team than they were last year. They, they will. The, the ball will be flowing very well. I mean, you add Capazzo in there, and just the way the ball will be moving, it'll be reminiscent of, I think it was like three years, maybe Maybe four, I think it was three seasons ago, when the Nuggets had this very free-flowing offense where when we were, I believe, top three in the NBA in assists per game. And this has all the pieces to look a lot more like that, but a lot more polished. You'll have a Jamal Murray out there who will actually, who, who is an all-star. I think he has a great shot of making an, the All-Star team this year. You have an All-NBA you have all NBA Jokic. Uh, an ascended Jokic, if you will. You have the shooting of MPJ out there. Uh, Gary Harris offensively has taken a little bit of a step back. We'll see if he's able to re- return the form and whatnot. But just the potential you have offensively is great with this roster. And... Quite possibly, if, if I was to make a prediction here, will be the top-rated offense in the entire NBA. Where we might feel the, the, the diminishing returns on this offseason is going to be defensively. Um, Jeremy Grant, his biggest contribution in the, in the playoffs in particular, he didn't necessarily have a great regular season, and a lot of Nuggets fans don't remember that. But you can't argue with the impact he had to this team on the offensive side, or I'm sorry, on the defensive side of the court. In his position, versatile defense. And that's something that we didn't really address. All the other things that need to be addressed this offseason were dealt with. But having somebody who can go up, and you're never going to completely stop a LeBron James. You're never going to completely stop Kawhi. But you can at least 
put the best op your best foot forward to try to slow them down. And Jeremy Grant was about the best foot, if you will, in the entire NBA to try to put forth and stop those guys. And he moved on. That's going to hurt when it comes to the playoff time in trying to stop them. But like I said, we will be better offensively. Better enough to offset that? Time will tell. But we have other players that have the opportunity to ascend to that. Uh, quite frankly, we didn't see any of Whittington this preseason. A little disappointed about that. Would have liked to see what he could do. Because he's the first guy that comes to mind that could try to slide in there. He's a six foot seven, six foot eight type wing. And where he made his bread is defensively. But after that, it comes down to what kind of progress do we see out of MPJ? I know what's going to be the flashy thing is getting him into rhythm with Jamal and with Jokic and getting that offense really zing. But the most important thing for the Nuggets to really make the same kind of push they did last year and maybe even push the Lakers or Clippers or whoever farther in the Western Conference Finals or maybe make the the finals, the, the NBA Finals, is can MPJ make a leap defensively? Shortened offseason, no real training camp. This is not the best circumstances to try to look at a young guy and say, hey, we want, we need you to take the weakest part of your game and maybe not necessarily make it your strength, but make it a strength. Make it where you're, where you're not a liability at the least and then see how he can step up in those high-pressure situations when the time comes. Because when it comes down to it, we will have to play at least one of the L.A. teams in the playoffs. Almost guaranteed. If not both of them. And for those of you who did not um, listen to the last episode, the NBA preview episode, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it. But I will recap the L.A. teams a little, little bit here just real quickly. Just because I think it's kind of clear right now in the West there is a top three teams. There's the Lakers, the Clippers, and the Nuggets. And some combination of those three are going to be in the finals. I can almost guarantee it. The Clippers get overlooked a lot when you're talking about the offseason hype because they blew a 3-1 lead to the Nuggets, and the perception is, oh, if you can, if you blow a 3-1 lead to the Nuggets, then you're not a serious team. And that a lot of that has more to do with the perception as the Nuggets as a franchise than the perception of the Clippers. But also, if we're being honest, it's, it's the Clippers. If it was the Lakers that threw, blew the 3-1 lead to the Nuggets, probably would not be as hard on them as, a, as the national standpoint is. But I digress. The Clippers, though, quietly kind of had a good offseason. Uh, Montrezl Harrell left. Jermichael Green left. Those, yeah, it, it's, it's unfortunate. Uh, Montrezl Harrell, I don't know if they're really going to feel that all that much. Uh, Jamichael Green, yeah, that, that's going to, that's a disappointment to lose that. But 
I think they did a great job of trying to fix what went wrong for them. And and that's why I'm actually if we're looking at the the LA squads, the Staples Center teams, I liked what the Clippers did and I'm more more aware of the Clippers as a team to challenge the Nuggets after this offseason than the Lakers. Now, I, I know that sounds kind of convoluted, but where the Clippers are going into this season as compared to where they were when we played them in the semifinals of the Western Conference, I think the Clippers are now better equipped to go up against the Nuggets. Obviously, they still have Kawhi. They still have Paul George. That that's although they choked, they 100% definitely choked in the playoffs. And that isn't all on them. That that does have to do with the way the Nuggets defended them. But it is to an extent how they played. But they went out and signed Serge Ibaka. And that is a move 100% in my book that was made to counter the Denver Nuggets, to counter Jokic. Because how we ate them up was from Jokic and that inside-out game in that series, and that's what really turned it. They did not have a counter to that. Montrez Harrell, no way in no universe can he guard Jokic. Zubak couldn't guard Jokic, and they needed somebody who could. And, and it's, it's a lot like what I was saying before with LeBron and with Kawhi. You're not going to be able to stop them completely. You're not going to be able to stop Jokic. But you've got to be able to put your best foot forward. And they upgraded that immensely in my book by signing Ibaka. Now... I still will take the Nuggets in a series, but I I do think that Abaka was an upgrade in trying to counter Nikola Jokic. I'm just more betting on the Nuggets as a whole developing as a team because we were such we're such a young team, and I again I think that offense is going to be very scary for the league. But then you slide over to the Lakers, and I said this in the last episode. I'm going to say this again. Their offseason, hugely overrated, and it gets pumped up so much because they are the Lakers. But you look at the pieces. Yes, they added some pieces, but they lost pieces too. And I don't think the pieces they added are really an upgrade over what they lost. Okay? They lost Avery Bradley, Danny Green, Dwight Howard, JaVale McGee, Rajon Rondo, J.R. Smith, Deion Waiters. Okay? Various levels of contributions from these players, especially in the playoffs. But all good players, all contributing players, especially when you're talking about those, those first five names I listed. And they lost all those. Yes, they added Mark Gasol. Okay? You added Mark Gasol, but you lost Dwight Howard. Defensively, probably about a, a wash, especially when you're talking about specifically matching up with the Denver Nuggets. Offensively, Mark Gasol can stretch the floor a bit better. 
you added Montrez Harrell. Let's let's say Montrez Harrell was brought in to replace JaVale McGee. That's a minus defensively. 100% a minus defensively. And probably a wash offensively. I mean, Harrell makes some flashy plays, and they get played on SportsCenter because of what he does. But it's not – he's not a – offensive piece that really takes your team to another level at all. Wesley Maya, Wesley Matthews, you brought him in, replaced Avery Bradley. Minus defensively, I don't know, maybe offensively a plus, but it it's not, on the whole, you're not making a big upgrade bringing in Matthews to replace Bradley. And then Dennis Schroeder, you brought him in. Let's say he's replacing Rajon Rondo. Offensively, he he's more athletic, mostly because he's younger. But he doesn't have the court vision. He's not as smart of a play, player as Rondo. And he's not as good defensively as Rondo. And I would put that as a as a loss. And I, I know that's my opinion. Uh, some people might differ on that opinion. But in my book, you just look at the five they added and the main five that they lost... On the whole, this Lakers team is worse going into this season than they were last season. Worse. Not better. And then you add on to that, I said it last time, I'll say it again, not, probably not probably, but I'm not going to be able to look and say that LeBron's going to be better this year than he was last year. He's still most likely going to be phenomenal. He's going to be really good. He's a top three all-time NBA player. But you're talking about him, he's going to be another year older. And he's just, in all likelihood, he's not going to be better than he was last year. He may be the same. He, he may be only, maybe he'll be just slightly worse. I don't expect a huge drop-off from him. But... This is a team that you're not... There's no pieces on except maybe Kuzma. That you're expecting to see any sort of jump from from last year into this year. You're not looking for progression eternally. For this LA Lakers team. Not like you're looking for from a Nuggets squad. Where they were trying to get better was externally. And it just didn't happen. Alright, now let's slide over talk about the Nuggets a little bit more here before moving on. Uh, just because I, I did not mention it specifically, but I did tweet about it. This team, my quite possibly my biggest takeaway watching the preseason games, is the Nuggets have so many good players. So many. Like, they have... Arguably 15 dudes on this roster that should be rotational guys and probably could be rotational guys on most, if not all, teams. So trying to figure out what the rotation is going to be, who the starting five are and who the first five are up off the bench is going to be a task that I'm not necessarily envying of Michael Malone. So... Easiest part is probably to look at it and say, who is the starting five? Well, Jamal Murray, point blank, obviously, starting. Jokic, Avi, starting. 
MPJ most likely starting. Uh, there is, it is possible that maybe Will Barton starts and uh, MPJ slides into the second unit. I still think MPJ is going to start. The other guy that potentially maybe you think about sliding down to the second unit and starting Will Barton over is Gary Harris. Again, I think Gary Harris is going to start, though. Paul Millsap is probably going to start. So you have your starting five there. You look at the second unit. Obviously, I mentioned his name a couple times as potentially being a starter. You're going to have Will Barton in there. Outside of that is where it starts to get hazy. Isaiah Hardenstein probably slides in as your backup center. You probably have Jermichael Green sliding in as your backup power forward. And because this team is so guard heavy, I'm going to put Barton in as the starting three. Or, sorry, not the starting three, but the backup three. Just re-signed Monte Morris to a pretty good-sized contract, so he's probably in your second unit. This is where it gets most interesting to me, because you have a lot of ways you could go. Where I think the team will go is probably with Faku, and put him as you know your your point guard and Monte Morris as your as your two. And then you're running basically a three-guard lineup out there that all are good, have above-average vision. I Barton has definitely grown on me over the past year. Uh, I was not super high on him a couple years ago, but he's definitely grown on me. And I think his role in the second unit would be is a perfect place for him. And that's why I, that's how I see the first and the second units kind of playing out. Um, so we still have Vlatko. We still have P.J. Dozier. Vlatko in the bench guy. P.J. Dozier saw time in the rotation last year. He might be the 11th dude on this roster. R.J. Hampton, uh, like I said, probably not seen him this year. Uh, Najee, pro- Will he get into the rotation at some point? Probably. I would assume at some point he's going to get into the rotation. Marcus Howard, probably not seeing him this year. Greg Whittington, I mean, talk about him as potentially being the best option to come in and try to defend LeBron. So I'd assume at some point he's going to get some minutes, see how he works out there with this team. And that doesn't even mention the fact uh, of Bobo, who I was really hoping would be a rotational guy this year. I just don't see it at this time. Now, that's not to say that it's never going to happen. I think at some point this season, Bobo has to be a rotational guy because there is entirely too much potential there to not develop him. And you can't develop him without playing him. I I really believe that that you have to see time on the court in the NBA to develop your game. Uh, you have to see that competition, especially since he's not going to be lighting it up in the G League this year. You know, he he did that last year, and he that's not going to be he doesn't have that option this year, really. So 
there is definitely, like I said, there is probably 13 guys that will see consistent playing time this year. Because there's that starting unit, the second unit, and then you have P.J. Dozier, you have Greg Whittington, you have Zeke, maybe even Zeke Naji, and maybe Bobo. That could all be rotational dudes. With all that said, I am just, I am super excited to see how this team plays and how this team comes together this season. I think at the least this is a this is at least a second round into the playoffs team and I think this could be I think the ceiling I honestly think the ceiling this year is an NBA championship and it's going to have to go through one of the LA teams. Nuggets could very well end up with the number 1 overall seed. I this team built the way it is, as young as it is, might light it up in the regular season. It's in the postseason where some question marks start to come into play because that's when the defensive intensity really needs to be stepped up and will be stepped up by other teams. But this, this Nuggets team could very easily end up as the number one seed in the West. But a team that's not going to be the number one seed anytime soon is the Denver Broncos. Um, obviously not their best season. Officially eliminated from the playoffs, uh, from playoff contention this weekend at five and nine right now, coming off of a um, a predictable but disappointing loss in the way it happened to the Buffalo Bills. Uh, the Bills. Are a better team for them, a better team than the Broncos this season. But I am seeing things that make me very excited and intrigued, I guess would be a better word, for this team going forward next year. Drew Locke has had his ups and downs. Uh, I mean, more downs than ups, quite frankly, this year. But the last couple of games, not throwing any interceptions, and it definitely seems like he's reading the field better. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that Pat Shermer is starting to actually call a game for Drew Locke, like how it should be called, in my in my opinion. Which is something you saw about this time, about the same time last year with Scangarello, which is why I thought it was kind of dumb to move on from him. And I really hope that the Broncos don't move on from Shermer, even though I'm not a huge Pat Shermer guy. You can't change an offensive coordinator on your quarterback every year. It's just, it's not good for the development of him. But Drew Locke, under 60% completion percentage. He does now, after Saturday, uh, officially have more touchdowns than interceptions. At a at 14 touchdowns, 13 interceptions. But more so than both of those is sacks, which is a little misleading to me. At least, because I honestly feel like this offensive line is a lot better than where it has been in the past. Uh, Garrett Bowles got signed long-term. I felt like he really deserved that. And, of course, you have Reisner looking like he's, you know, definitely a going to be partnered up there with Garrett Bowles for the foreseeable future. Another, 
not as good, I guess, as last season for Dalton Reisner, but still a really good season for him. Lloyd Cushenberry in the center has had some growing pains, but overall, really liked what I've seen from him. Uh, Glasgow, the big free agent acquisition on the offensive line this past year, really been kind of a disappointment at right guard. We got to see Mooty uh, a couple weeks ago slide in because uh, Glasgow got uh, got ruled out. So Mooty slided in, and I would actually would not mind seeing Mooty for the rest of the season. These last couple of games looked really good in there at right guard, and a lot of the talk was that Mooty would have been a second-round prospect if it wasn't for the injury concerns. And if he can develop there, because uh, I've, like I said, Cushenberry has had some problems, but he's growing into the position. You have four of your five starting linemen for the next five-plus seasons, and I would feel really good about that. And they're all young. Well, Bowles isn't all that young anymore, but they're all... They're all pretty young, and it's a place that the Broncos have not been in for quite some time, looking at the offensive line and not putting your hands in your palms because it's so frustrating. Uh, the big question mark still is right tackle. They've done enough with it this season to keep it to not be completely awful, but it was, it'll definitely be the spot that still needs to be addressed in the offseason, whether it's through the draft or Try to plug another Band-Aid in there in free agency. But in whole, this, that's just a roundabout way of saying that even though the sack numbers are kind of high, 28 total, I have liked this offensive line this season. Uh, Melvin Gordon, Philip Lindsay, again, Shermer's starting to figure out how to use these guys because you've seen it the last couple weeks a lot better of a distribution in touches between the guys. Um, so they've both been able to kind of hit a stride at times, and you see them little more than early on in the season, and which is partially due to injuries early on in the season. But you see him kind of ride the hot hand. Uh, Phil Lindsay has continued his lack of fumbling, zero fumbles on the season. So you rolling into next season with both these guys, I'd be very happy with. I still think it was an overpay to bring in Melvin Gordon, but they have started to be able to work quite well together there in the backfield. Off is offensively skill positions, receiving core. Jerry Judy, you see, you hear a lot as a Broncos fan, hear a lot of why aren't they getting Judy involved in the offense more? You know, it, this is our shiny new toy, and we're not utilizing it. He actually leads the team in targets, 91 targets. Yet he's third on the team in receptions. And some of that does have to do with drops, yes. Uh, some of it is, you know, inaccurate passes. But it doesn't change the fact that he has 20 more targets than Tim Patrick, who's third on the team. He has 13 more targets than Noah Fant. So they're trying to get him involved. It's just not working out. Noah Fant actually is leading the team in catches with 52 catches. 
Uh, Noah Fan has looked really good. I've been really happy with what I've seen from him. And then K.J. Hamler finally starting to get him utilized in this offense in the last uh, few weeks. Again, I think it comes down to the fact that the Broncos, or Pat Shermer, is actually learning how to utilize the tools that he has. So this all excites me looking forward into next season. Uh, Tim Patrick, 46 catches for 657 yards. He's been a surprise and has been really nice to have around on on the Broncos, kind of taking that Cortland Sutton type of role, the big receiver on the outside, the big play maker, uh, the throw it up and he'll come down with it type of dude. But then you look forward into next season. You're talking about Drew Locke potentially, we'll see, having found his rhythm in the NFL and kind of learning what he can and cannot get away with and learning how to read the field more effectively. We will have Cortland Sun back. We lost him week one. Okay, he'll he'll be back for next season um, at some point. Very could very possibly be for the beginning of the season. You'll have Noah Fant, Jerry Judy in his second year, having learned, hopefully learned from his rookie season, uh, and potentially Tim Patrick, KJ Hamler into another season. All these weapons should base should be back. With and the catalyst here is Drew Locke. Is he actually learning how to read defenses? And is he actually learning how to read the field? And will he be able to go from one season to the next with the same offense, with the same terminology, with the same coordinator? Those are all huge questions and things that if Going forward, we keep Pat Shermer. I think this offense could look really nice next year. Another year of development for that offensive line, which I am super stoked about. Offensive line possibly more so than anything else because in my book, everything starts up front, especially offensively, defensively too, but especially offensively. The number one thing, even before a quarterback, in, in my opinion, it's getting that offensive line right. You can't go anywhere. You can't run the ball consistently if there's no holes. You can't find the open receivers consistently if you don't have time to throw it. And they have finally seemed to find the pieces to put together a competent, borderline top-level offensive line here depending on how it develops going forward i mean overall o-line playing the nfl has been down so being a top level offensive line in today's nfl is not the same as 10 years ago and the broncos could potentially have a top level offensive line next year depending on what they do at right tackle and obviously the development of the younger guys then defensively okay uh, Bouye only has played seven games this season. He's suspended for the rest of this regular season. Callahan, one of the top-rated corners 
as, as far as like pro football focus, has only played 10 games this season. We have not had Von Miller all season. And this defense is still good. It is, it's not great, okay? But it is a good defense that has been hampered even more so than, this, than the offense has been by injuries. So, yes, we're going to miss the playoffs this year. I'm going to go out and I'm going to say that they win their final two games. I think they beat the Chargers and they beat the Raiders and end up 7-9. Yeah, that's not a good record. But you look objectively at all the pieces on here and their development through this season and go into it with the mindset of realizing that there was a lot of obstacles in their way this year. They did not have an offseason They've had all these injuries to key players. Cortland Sun, Von Miller, perennial pro bowler, possibly Hall of Famer, Von Miller. Coming off a pro bowl season on a first team all pro season for Cortland Sun. I mean, these are key pieces that they missed for the entirety of the season. And they'll just have back for next year. As good as as good as the development was from specific pieces I was looking at for the season. I think next year, this is a playoff team, especially if they stick with this seven-team playoff format, which, I, if I'm going to be honest with you, I prefer the six-team. I don't want to get more and more towards what the NBA does, for instance, where... Over half the teams make the playoffs. I think making the playoffs should mean something. I mean, and that's that's my that's my opinion. Okay, um, which actually I guess is as good of a time as any to segue into college football, which means I'm about to go off on a little rant here. Now, if you if you were a listener to the EMP Sports Show, you've probably heard me talk about this before. And if I'm going to be honest, if you stick with me and you listen to me next year at this time, you will probably hear the my same argument until this system gets fixed. Because if you think that the college football playoff is a perfect system the way it is, you're just wrong. I mean... And, and there's probably never going to be a perfect way to do this. But the way it is right now is so ass backwards, okay? Um, let, let's – the four teams in the playoffs. Alabama will play Notre Dame. Clemson will play Ohio State. Alabama, Clemson, even Ohio State. I have a little bit of a gripe on that one, but even Ohio State, sure. You know what? Those – they earned the way – their way in. But Notre Dame did not win their conference. Okay? And it you can't make a logical argument to me that says if you are not the best team in your conference that you are the best team in the country. Okay? I know that's why a playoff is set up, but you can't have at large bids in a conference or in a in the playoffs. When there's conference champions that aren't getting in. 
This is a Power 5 Invitational. I, I saw somebody say, I wish I could say who it was, but I can't remember. This is a Power 5 Invitational here. Uh, this is not a true playoff. There is no there is no surefire way to get yourself in. It is what does the committee look at and say, ooh, what's going to get us the best numbers? Because there is no way you can tell me that Notre Dame is going to give Alabama a, a good game. If you want to make the argument that it's about putting the best four teams forward, and you're trying to make the argument that it's about the eye test, okay? Notre Dame, yeah, they only have one loss. Yeah, they beat Clemson early in the year. Clemson did not have Trevor Lawrence, okay? Notre Dame would have lost to Clemson because it was a close game. Notre Dame would have lost that game if Trevor Lawrence was playing. And if you're going to try to tell me Notre Dame's going to give Alabama a better game than Oklahoma or who I think should have been in Cincinnati – that's that's just dumb. If you're like, oh, we got to put in Notre Dame because we need competitive games. Well, the eye test tells me it's not going to be a competitive game. It's, it's not. Might Cincinnati get blown out by Alabama too? Probably. Okay? Probably. They would probably get blown out by Alabama. But that doesn't mean that they should not get a chance to do it. That does not mean that they did not do more to earn a chance at the national title than Notre Dame did. Yeah, Notre Dame did finally kind of go into a conference. We'll see if that goes continues going forward. So at least they did that. But Notre Dame is not one of the four best teams in in the uh, in the country. Quite honestly, I, I if I was to just pick a top four teams in the country, I'd probably put Texas A&M as the number four team in the country. But Texas A&M did not earn a spot in the top four. Now, in my perfect world, okay, it would be 16 teams in the playoffs. I know we're not going to get to that anytime soon, if ever. But if you're going to make it truly a college football playoff and not just a what's going to get me the ratings invitational you have to have surefire ways for teams to get in. It has to be a level playing field for getting into this thing. You have to have automatic bids. And conference championships should be an automatic bid. Now, you can't necessarily do that with only four teams. I understand that. And if you do eight, you can do an automatic bid for all five power conference teams. Sure. Then your top group of five or group of six, whatever it is these days, team... Sure, but in a perfect world, you get to that 16. You have your automatic bids. You win your conference, you're in. Then you have the at-larges, where Texas A&M can come in, where Notre Dame can come in, where Florida can get in. And then if the final four teams ends up being you know, Alabama, Texas A&M, Florida, and Georgia, let's say, and it's all four SEC schools, in the top four, well then so be it, that's what it is. They earned their way into it by knocking off other teams that deserve to be there. You cannot have a system, you you cannot have a system and say that this is a college football playoff when an undefeated Cincinnati team, yeah, sure, they, they don't play in a Power 5 conference, but they did not lose a single game this season. 
They, they did not lose a single game this season. And they can't get into the playoff. A few years ago, probably a better, even a better example of this was that UCF squad. Do I think necessarily they would have won the national title? Probably not. I think they could have given Alabama and Clemson and Ohio State a run for their money, though. And it's about giving these schools a chance to do it. It is huge for recruiting, even. You can't you can't hold these schools to such drastically different standards. Because then it comes to just a self-fulfilling prophecy. You come into a season with these rankings at the beginning of the season, and you throw in, for example, LSU was a top 10 team this season. And... They're not that good. Like, probably not even a top 25 team. But they were in there early on. And it just becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because it, you watch it constantly. I'm, full disclosure, I'm a Pac-12 guy. I'm a, I'm a CU dude. Okay? You have the SEC beating up on itself in conference play, and it's like, oh, look at how strong and how deep the SEC is. You have the Pac-12 beating up on themselves in conference play. It's like, wow, USC, Oregon must not actually be that good if they lose to a middle-of-the-tier team in the Pac-12 because that's a self-fulfilling prophecy, okay? you Cincinnati, UCF, the Coastal Carolina this year, they never really have a shot at making the college football playoff in this current setting. Which means if you don't have a legitimate shot of making the college football playoffs, that takes away your opportunity to recruit some of these players. Because there are players, there are 100% players out there that will not go to a school unless they think they'll have a shot at making the college football playoffs. Which means if that is one of your top priorities, if that's a top three priority for you, then you go to Alabama, you go to Clemson, you go to Ohio State, you go to Notre Dame. Because especially those first three, you go to one of those schools, you are virtually guaranteed to at least make the playoffs. You go to Cincinnati, you have no chance, no chance. UCF went undefeated two years in a row with wins against SEC opponents during that span and could not get into the college football playoffs because it is they're not a power conference team. And that is absolutely asinine to me as a football fan, as a sports fan. One of the things as sports fans in America or you know, probably the entire world that we love the most is the underdog. That is why March Madness is as great as it is. That is why March Madness gets the ratings it does, especially early on. It's because of those 116 matchups where it's like, wow, are they actually going to pull off this upset? Are we going to see history here? If we had a 16-team playoff, okay, and BYU in the college football playoff ranked 16th, BYU against Alabama. Yeah, the odds are Alabama's going to win that game. But you, sure as hell, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to watch that game because BYU has a chance to play them. BYU has a chance to beat them. 
They're given that opportunity, and if they do, that is history. That is one of the that be one of, if not the greatest story in college football for the entire season. We love the little guy. We love the underdog. Unless you're one of those bandwagon fans, I guess, and you just Alabama's good all the time. I want to be an Alabama fan, so I always have somebody good to cheer for. And if that's your idea of being a sports fan, I feel sorry for you. That is sad. That is sad. That is not true fandom. But look at this. Look look at the format that college basketball does. And the games that we remember, outside of the actual championships, okay, the, the, the games that you look back over the last five years and we remember are those upsets. Are those, are, is Duke losing as a two seed in the first round? It's Virginia losing as a one seed in the first round. Those are the games that we look back and we remember. And it's because it's not going to court, because it, it didn't go as the eye test tells you it was going to. If we were just going off the eye test, and if I was to put money down, I would say Alabama-Clemson. Those are best two teams. And very likely, they will be the two teams that play in the championship game. But that doesn't mean that's that is how it's going to happen. Just because your eye test tells you that's how it's going to happen doesn't mean that's what's going to happen. You see this in every sports format. You know, you have the Giants beat the undefeated Patriots. You had the Denver Nuggets, okay? The Denver Nuggets pulling off a huge upset against the Sonics back in the 90s. Those upsets are iconic moments. And they happen. And they could happen. You put Cincinnati in an 18-team playoff format. Cincinnati right now, number eight. You put Cincinnati up against Alabama. Cincinnati can win that game. Whatever the eye test tells you, Cincinnati could win that game. And that would be something phenomenal to watch as a sports fan. That would be... Just epic. And as sports fans, we are robbed of that because we are forced this who is the big name school that played well this season. There you go. Alabama Clemson, I honestly feel like those are ridiculously good teams. Ohio State, I'm not as convinced on but do I think Alabama Clemson deserve to be there? Yes. But that doesn't change the fact that we would probably get Alabama and Clemson even if they had two losses. We saw that years ago. Alabama, two loss, still goes into the goes into the national championship game because it's Alabama and that's the name recognition and it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. But... You know what, that's my rant. Like I said, you'll probably get it, get it again next year until there's... You'll get it again and again and again until there's some steps made to make it where this is actually a level playing field. Not a... Not so... 
asininely slanted towards not just power conference teams, but really specific power conference teams. But looking at the bowl games as a whole, the New York Six Bowls, uh, we have Texas A&M against North Carolina in the Orange Bowl, Oregon, Ohio State in the Fiesta Bowl, Cincinnati, Georgia in the Peach Bowl, which, yeah, Georgia basically gets a home game. Not There'll be even any fans there, but basically gets a home game to play Cincinnati. Uh, and then you got Oklahoma, Florida in the Cotton Bowl. Obviously, for me, the Cincinnati-Georgia game is the one I'm most interested in seeing because I like to pull for the low guy. And this is the only big-time matchup for the quote-unquote little guy who had a legit argument for making it into the college football playoffs. Cincinnati should have been the fourth team, in my opinion. And they'll get a chance to play Georgia, and hopefully for their sake, they, they beat Georgia and show like, hey, we should have been in. We should have had that opportunity, and you robbed that of us. Uh, looking at the rest of the games, though, there's not a ton that really jump off at me. Uh, but what does jump off at me that you have some teams that ha should have been given an opportunity to prove themselves. Uh, Coastal Carolina. Undefeated this season. Beat BYU, whose only loss this season is to Coastal Carolina. Beat Louisiana, whose only loss this season is to Coastal Carolina. And they play Liberty. You got schools, okay, you got schools like um, like Northwestern. You got schools like Indiana. Schools like Auburn. Or not Auburn, because they actually weren't all that good this year, but... Um, like Miami, okay, you had ranked power conference teams that are playing in bowl games that you could put Coastal Carolina up against. You could put San Jose State up against, who had an undefeated uh, run in the Mountain West. I mean, you have an opportunity to let these schools go out there and prove themselves, and, and give them the opportunity to show that next year, if Coastal Carolina goes undefeated again, maybe, maybe, maybe they will give them a little bit of a more fair look at putting them into, into the playoffs. Still, probably would not happen. Almost guaranteed it wouldn't happen. But you have an opportunity as the committee here to at least give a Coastal Carolina to at least give a, a San Jose State the opportunity to go out and play a power team, a good team from this year, a ranked team from this year from a power conference. And, you know, if they lose and fall on their face, then, hey, that at least vindicates you from not giving them a shot and ranking them as low as you did. At least that says, like, hey, you know what? We were right. But if they go out there and beat them, then that's mud in their face, and that's why they don't schedule it. That's why they don't schedule a Coastal Carolina against an Indiana. That's why they don't schedule a Miami against San Jose State. Because there's too much of an opportunity for it to look bad on the committee. For me, personally, the highlight, um, though, of these non-New Year's Six Bowls 
uh, because there isn't those matchups that that would have been so easy for them to do is the Alamo Bowl uh, Texas against Colorado one time what was it big eight back in the day <laughs> opponents uh, Colorado was ranked once upon a time in the top 25 but then uh, stumbled and fell late in the season but they have an opportunity to play Texas ranked number 20 by the committee and if Colorado wants to show that this wasn't just a fluke them getting off to the hot start they did this year they do have an opportunity to go out there to play Texas and to show that we are a good team and maybe maybe with a victory who knows maybe they'd even start off next season ranked in the top 25 that's what these kind of bowl games are for really is for making a statement that, hey, you should look at us more closely when it comes to the rankings for next season. So there is something on the line for Colorado in this game. Not, It's not nothing. Colorado, I do think, has a shot against Texas. Texas did not look great this year. They're ranked, again, it's one of those, time, one of those things that Texas is ranked because they are Texas. They have three losses on the season and are still ranked 20th above, you know, for example, above an undefeated San Jose State. But I, I'm, I'm just I'm being a dead horse at this point. Um, that's going to do it for today's show on What Sports. Again, this was your host, Mike Jones. Don't forget to give me a follow on Twitter at AKCoachJones. Give this podcast on whatever format you're listening. Give it a like. Give it a follow. Give me a comment. Let me know what you think. And recommend it to some friends. Anything you can do helps me out, obviously. And it's greatly appreciated. But for now, this is all. I hope you guys are having a fantastic holiday season. Till next time.